Thanks, Maddie. Give it up for Maddie, guys. Come on. And I like her shoe game. Got to represent the Chucks. Thank you for that. Uh, my name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. So growing up, I was a numbers nerd. This is confession time. I loved numbers. I would like take my baseball cards and like add them up and then like try and figure out the ultimate team through stats like at eight. Like I really geeked out on this stuff growing up. It was just pretty natural for me. I was so good at numbers that I ended up working in banking. So all day long, people would come and ask me for my opinion on how they should save money, on how to consolidate their debt, on wise practices for financial living. They would come to me and ask me that. So imagine my horror and shame when I realized that I was actually terrible with my own finances. And I don't mean like lightly terrible. I mean, I was legitimately bad at my own personal finances. Through my 20s, I lived above my salary, above my income for years, not months, years, which means that all of my credit cards were maxed out. I was the guy in my early 20s who would, before I would go hang out with friends, I would call and make a minimum payment on my credit card so that I would have 20 bucks on my credit card that I could go and spend on whatever I was going to do for the night. That was how I lived in my, tw in my early 20s. It was bad. I didn't save anything because obviously there was nothing to save like zero negative savings. It was so bad that for, I needed my credit pulled for something around like 24. I don't remember what it was, but I had my credit pulled at the bank that I worked at. So like shame on top of shame. One of my coworkers pulled it for me because you can't pull your own. So I'm sitting down and looking at it and she's like, so your credit score is 350. If you know what credit scores are, that was terrible. It's taken me a long time to build it back up again. Uh, it was terrible. And it's like astonishingly bad when you don't have a bankruptcy or a legitimate financial hardship that you went through in order to get to that place. I was just terrible with my finances. Like really, really bad. I was basically like giving people advice at work. And then as soon as I left, whenever a Nigerian prince would call me on the phone, I would wire him $5,000. I mean, it was bad news bears with my personal finances. It was bad. We're in a series called Money Talks. And we've taken some of this from a church down in, North, down in uh, Georgia uh, where the pastor is Andy Stanley. And Andy Stanley says that if your money was to talk to you, which could be a scary thing for some of us, uh, it might fill in these three phrases. It might say, yeah, I know. Yeah, I should have known. Or no, I shouldn't have. So let me fill in these with hypotheticals that I'm sure will not hit any of us where we're at and how we spend, okay? It's purely hypotheticals right now, except for myself. Uh, yeah, I know I shouldn't have gone to Starbucks this morning, 
and gotten a venti cold brew with a breakfast sandwich, uh, a raspberry lime spindrift, and a pack of almonds. But I was just coming from the gym, and I was really hungry, and I didn't sleep very well last night, so I needed real coffee, not that stuff that's at work, because honestly, that doesn't do anything for me. So I needed something real, and on top of that, like, I'm at the gym and I'm drinking coffee, so I'm really dehydrated. And the only thing that hydrates me is that fizzy flavored water. I just had to have it. And then let's be honest, in two hours, I'm going to be really hungry again. And almonds are so much better for me than anything else I would choose to eat this morning. Yeah, I should have known, but... Or yeah, I should have known that my car insurance was due next month and that I actually did need to save that $500 towards that. But my friend was coming into town for two days, two days only, and he never comes to town. So I had to do it up. In that restaurant in Boston, the one with the really good Yelp reviews that's brand new, like I kind of had to go there. And then after dinner, you can't just do dinner by itself, right? You know, you got to get dessert afterwards. So after dinner, you know, we're in downtown Boston, so I wanted a cannoli. So, you know, we went out and got cannolis. And then let me tell you, I got this great deal on Patriots tickets. I mean, I got at least 10% off. It was a great deal. And, and it was only two days, and so I just had to do it. Yeah, I should have known that I had to save money for my car insurance, but it was only two days. Or, no, I shouldn't have signed both of my kids up for the really expensive sports leagues that we can't actually afford, but I live in Westboro. And if you don't know... Now you know, every kid in Westboro is going to at least two sports leagues. They're taking dance lessons and music lessons. And my kids need to be able to fit in in the town that they live in, right? This has nothing to do with the fact that when I'm around the other parents, that they stare at me like I'm an alien because I don't have my kids in everything else that they have their kids in. And that I feel the social pressure of it has nothing to do with this. This is all about my kids. No, I shouldn't have spent that money that we didn't actually have, but anyone feeling a little poked this morning, you don't have to raise your hand. We all do this in lots of different ways with our money. We have excuses for how we spend our money in ways that probably are not the financially wisest moves for us. This morning, I want to talk about what I think might be one of the scariest parts about following Jesus. Here it is. You ready? Jesus cares what you do with your money. And to double down, he says that it's all his. So he really cares what we do with his money. So this morning I want to talk about how with that knowledge in view, how we can move from being in a place of anxiety, of being constantly anxious about how we're doing financially towards with God's help being in a place where we can trust in God's ability to provide for us like he says that he will. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you for uh, your, your presence here this morning. Thank you for what you want to do here today. 
we just give you this space. We want you to be in control. We want you to do what it is that you're wanting to do. And I just ask this morning, Lord, that you will take away uh, shame regarding our finances, anxiety regarding our finances, and instead replace it with a, a solid, firm knowledge that, that you're good, that you're generous, and that you have promised to take care of us. Help us to be able to trust in that reality, not in anything else. So we just give ourselves up to you today. We say that we love you and that we are yours. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew chapter 6, if you have your Bible, open up to that. Uh, we're going to look at a series of verses that Rob briefly mentioned a couple of weeks ago when he started off this series. But where in the Bible is good news for those of us who struggle financially? Where do we find good news? Well, here's a good place to start. Matthew 6, 25 through 33. Let's read it. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Some of us might say, if life's more than food, I'm not sure it's worth, wear, it's worth living. Or if, if my body's more than clothing, I'm not sure that it's worth going about. But uh, Jesus is saying this. Who's he talking to right here? He's talking to a crowd of Israelites on the Sea of Galilee, which is kind of a border lake in between the two states of Israel, between Galilee and Judea. He's talking to a mixed group of people from all over Israel, from countries outside of Israel, and he's talking to them about money. These are people living in an occupied land in the first century in the Roman Empire. So we've learned a little bit more about the Roman Empire as years have gone on. And here's what we know about them financially. These people living in this land that Jesus is speaking to, about 80% of the Roman Empire lived at or below the poverty line. 80%. In America today, according to the last census, we're at about a 20% rate that live at or below the poverty line. So basically, if you flip the graph, that's where it is for these people that Jesus is speaking to. These are people who really personally, intimately knew what it meant to struggle for their daily food, for their daily needs. This is where they were at. This is who Jesus is talking to. He's not talking to people who this was a nice hypothetical. He's talking to somebody who struggles on an everyday basis. This was relevant to them, and it was good news to them. So if it's good news to them, it should be good news to us. Let's keep reading. Verse 26. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? 
So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat or what will we drink and what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Your heavenly Father knows all your needs. Still good news today. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. Craig Keener was a New Testament, he is a New Testament theologian, and he wrote, many of us doubt God's power to provide. Yet, in this passage, while Jesus emphasizes God's power, he also stresses that God guarantees only what we need. If God sustains life and protects our bodies, will we complain if he does it differently from what culture, what our culture values? Paul says it even more dramatically in 1 Timothy 6.8. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. If God sustains life, will we complain if he does it differently than what our culture values? Jesus and Paul are, I would say, without a doubt, the most influential people in the church, right? Throughout history, Paul wrote over half of the New Testament Jesus is Jesus. We, we know why he's influential, obviously, right? We get that one. And they are extreme when it comes to money and our needs and God's provision. They are massively extreme when it comes to these things. They tell us very clearly that God will provide what we need, but what we need may not be the same thing as our cultural standard. God will provide what we need, but what we need may not be the same thing as our cultural standard. What does this mean? Anybody feeling a little uncomfortable? You can, you can move your head. You know, look at the person next to you. You don't have to keep laser eyes on me right now. You know, it's okay. We're talking about money. It's uncomfortable. I get it. You know, growing up, my parents were pastors. Now, we, lived, we were not poor pastors. There's some pastors that are poor. I understand that. We weren't that. We were solidly middle class, good life, you know, like what, we had what we needed, whatever. Um, good place. The church was a good size. My dad would travel a lot. He was pretty well known in the group that their church was a part of. And one of the side effects of my dad traveling was that he realized that his income was on the lower half of all of his peers which is an uncomfortable realization for any of us to make right uh it's not a fun thing to realize so what my dad started to do and i'm not going to say that he did this cognitively i don't know i've never you know i never phrased it to him like this but basically what started to happen was that everything in our house got bigger and better everything <laughs> So it started with the TV, and this is the mid-90s. So we had one of those big, we got one of those big, honking, heavy TVs. You know, the type that takes like three guys to pick up, and like, you know, none of this lightweight, thin screen stuff. I mean, the big old TVs. We got one of those, and then it needed a big old thing to put it on because it's so heavy. And then our cars got upgraded. So our cars went from a Toyota and a Honda to a brand new Lexus and Acura. And then our house got upgraded my senior year of high school. So one kid out of three is getting ready to move out. 
it, we are in a four-bedroom house with plenty of space, and all of a sudden my parents decide that they need a bigger space because one less kid, you need more space, right? That's logical. We can all follow that. And so they went and bought a new house that had like about a 1,000 extra square feet. More bedrooms, more bathrooms. It was great. Everybody had their own bathroom now. I mean, what I wouldn't give for that in a house with uh, three girls. But anyway, uh, <laughs> just say uh, everybody had everything. I mean, it was so much space. And now I'm not saying that any of those things are bad. Okay. All of those things are perfectly fine in and of themselves. There was nothing wrong. The problem was that my dad's salary did not go up. My dad's salary stayed the same. But you know what did go up? Our debt and his anxiety. This is what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, don't make financial decisions that are going to increase your anxiety. Verse 31, don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Your heavenly father already knows all your needs. And now I, I get cultural pressure. I totally understand that. Like I, we do live in Westboro and we live in an apartment and I see where my kids' friends live. We take them to hang out with their friends and it's like the girls are like, wow, dad, their house is so big. You know, like I understand the pressure to fit in to our culture. It's real. It's a struggle. We all have it. There's no way to avoid that to a certain point. But Jesus is crying out to us and he's saying, don't be so focused on cultural standards of needs versus wants, cultural standards of wealth, cultural standards of what it takes to fit in that you start missing out on my goodness and my generosity to you. Don't let that be the main thing that you're looking at. Hear me out. When we live like our cultural standards are a necessity, we stop trusting Jesus. We stop believing that Jesus is actually good and generous to us. And instead, we start worrying about how we're going to keep up, how we can get more. That's what Jesus is warning us about. That's what he, want us, he wants us to focus on. Trusting in God's ability and willingness to take care of us will help us to move away from anxiety and towards trust in his goodness and towards gratitude so how do we actually live this out especially for those of us who might not feel like financial security is a thing that we have currently i'm sure there's a lot of us sitting in this room who that's a very real thing security is not a is not where we're at so how do we trust in god's goodness to provide what we need versus what our, cultural, our culture wants us to get. Three things that will help us move from anxiety to trust. Here's the first one. Remember that everything that you and I have is actually God's. And no, I don't mean metaphorically. I know some of you, you were like, oh, metaphorically, yes, in my head, yes, that's great. 
perfect, whatever, you know, like in my head, Jesus, everything is, is yours. No, I mean literally. And that is super uncomfortable, at least for me. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything is God's. Everything. My money's not mine. It's God's. My house isn't mine. It's God's. My cars aren't mine. They're God's. Like everything is God's. He is in control all of it. Again, I'm not talking metaphorically. I'm talking literally. This is where it gets a little painful. I struggle with this because I like having control. Anybody else like having control over their finances? I like seeing all of it. I want to know where everything's going. I check it all the time. Like, I, I'm so obsessive with it that Sarah's like, I don't even want to know. Just don't tell me. You just do, and, and we'll be good. Like, I like having control over my money. But there's got to be some give and take here. Now, most of us are fine with, can, can I... Can I make fun of us a little bit? Is that a, can I make fun of your prayers? Is that dangerous? Uh, so most of us are fine with asking God for the big stuff, right? You know, cars, houses, uh, retirement accounts, stock portfolio. We're fine with asking God to enter those. We're like, dear Jesus, please give me a good deal on that house. You know, we're like... Dear Jesus, please let me walk in to the car dealership at the right time when the right salesman's on who's very nice and kind and he's had a good month and he's sold everything so that he'll give me a brand new car at cost. Please give me that. You know, like we're fine with with asking God to, to be a part of our investment choices. We're like, dear God, you know that I want to serve you. And the best way that I could serve you is by retiring at 50. (laughs) So please, Jesus, come and quadruple my retirement account. Give me wisdom on how to, like, we are totally fine with praying these types of things. There's nothing wrong with that. It's whatever. I'm just having fun. But, like, that's totally good, right? We are content with that type of a prayer. I mean, you know, who wouldn't want to retire at 50? Some of you are like, too late, sorry. Uh, But for the rest of us, we're like, yes, please. Those prayers are fine. But how about the other stuff? When was the last time that you allowed Jesus to take a look at your Amazon account? When was the last time you invited him into those decisions? When yesterday you went on three times and made separate individual orders, adding up to amounts that actually counted for something, and then it just magically goes from Amazon and appears at your doorstep the next day. When was the last time that you asked Jesus what he thought about those types of things? That's where it starts to get a little uncomfortable, right? That's where Jesus owning everything starts to become a difficult thing. Everything that you have is God's. Learning to live like that will actually change a lot, but it is guaranteed to be a little painful. Not one of the easiest things that comes with following Jesus. Here's the second way that we can move from anxiety towards trust. Start saving now. Now, if you're struggling, you're looking at me and you're like, yeah, I knew that one was coming. 
not happening, no money, zero, not going to be able to be there. I get it. Sarah and I, we have kids. We're having to pay for kindergarten. We had to pay the IRS lots of extra money last year. Saving is difficult. I understand that. But here's what the Bible has to say about it. Proverbs 21. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Ouch. Proverbs is so nice, right? It's like the cozy book. It just makes you feel good about yourself. Uh, that one makes me cringe a little bit. And sometimes saving doesn't feel like it's getting anywhere. You know, honestly, when I was broke in my early 20s, this was one of my difficulties, uh, that it never felt like it was adding up. And so I was like, what's the point? What, I don't have enough to do anything with, you know, like 20 bucks, yay. You know, I, I heard a story about a couple. They were trying to save towards a new car. And the wife, she ran into the room. She's like, honey, guess what? We finally saved enough money to buy what we were wanting to buy in 1979. And the husband jumped up. He's like, yes, we can finally get a new car. And the wife started laughing. She said, no, we can finally buy a car from 1979. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it's getting anywhere, right? We're like broke. We don't understand. It's not getting anywhere. But if you want to move from anxiety towards trust, this is a part of it. The Bible tells us that. If you're looking for practical steps on how to do some of this type of stuff, debt consolidation, saving, uh, check out Dave Ramsey's baby step, seven baby steps. If you know QR codes, pull out that phone, take a screenshot. It will pull up, pull up on, your, um, on your phone, and, and it'll actually go to the right link. Rod's taking his out so he can double check that he goes to the right page. That's what Hitting asked me. Is it going to go to the wrong place? Check that out. Uh, it'll, it'll help. Third way to move from anxiety to trust, according to Jesus, is to give generously. Another thing that's painful when you don't have a lot of money is giving. But here's the secret. If you don't give when you don't have money, you're not going to give when you do have money. It's just not going to happen. We will never reach a place where you feel like you have enough to finally start being generous. There's always going to be something that you want to spend it on. There's always going to be bills. There's always going to be these things that we would rather put our money towards other than being generous towards others. Start being generous when it hurts a little bit. Here's what Jesus says, Matthew 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd put their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. Jesus didn't accidentally see what these people were giving. This is super awkward if you think about the situation. When I read this, this is how I wish that Jesus would have been. So Jesus walked into the temple 10 minutes late for the service, and the only seats that were still open were in the back by the offering box. So when it came time for the offering, Jesus pulled out his iPhone and he went on Instagram to see what his followers were saying about him. And as he was scrolling on, somebody stepped on his tunic. 
So then he had to adjust it. And when he adjusted, he looked up accidentally and saw what they were putting into the offering box. And then it was such a powerful moment that he had to tell his disciples about it. That's how I wish that this story went. You want me to tell you what it actually was? Do you remember what it actually was? Jesus sat there. He plopped down right next to that offering box. And he said, show me what you're going to give. He stared at them. He watched deeply, awkwardly watched what each person came and put into the offering box that day. And then he talked about it. That is uncomfortable. He didn't apologize for it. He just did it. Friends, this might make you uncomfortable, but I guess if this is the first time you're uncomfortable this morning, we're doing good. So hey, got to get you at some point. Uh, Jesus pays attention to what you give. That's the reality of it. He watches. He stands and looks over your shoulder when you're texting to give. He watches when you throw cash in. He watches when you're writing out a check. He watches when you give online. He's paying attention to what you're giving. And here's why. Because it's all his. And he wants to know what we're doing with his money. He cares what we do with his money. He's paying attention to it. I came across a book this week as I was... Uh, studying and just kind of thinking about this. It's called God and Money. I know that's like a great title. I didn't write it. Um, But it was by two Harvard Business School grads who took a Harvard Divinity School class called God and Money. And when they were in this class, their whole views on money kind of got blown up in a really good way. So I want us to watch what they have to say. Greg comes one day to Bible study and says, guys, my friend has the perfect class for us to take. It's over at Harvard Divinity School. And again, we're at the business school. So we're like, what, the Divinity School, what? And it was called God and Money. And so he's telling us about this class. And we go, well, we love God and we love money. So this is two for two on this class. The class was amazing. It explored the intersection of faith and finance in our culture. But what really got to our hearts was the final term paper that we had to write for the course. And we surveyed over 200 Harvard Business School alumni who are Christians. We surveyed them on their wealth and giving habits. And then combined with that, we read the entire Bible front to back, everything it had to say about money, and used those two resources to write a paper on what we would one day do with money were we ever to be blessed with more than we needed. I think the key insights for us can all be summed up in one idea, which is that everything we have truly belongs to God. And I think any Christian, if you ask them, would like admit that fact, but so few of us live that way, and certainly we were not. If that's true, though, then everything we have ought to be used for his purposes. And that includes providing for our families, you know, First Timothy 6. Um, but it also includes being generous for his kingdom. John and I, our brains immediately go to, well, how much do we need to give? Is 10% enough? What's the number? Let's get down to brass tacks here. And, you know, I think our anchor point was the tithe. You know, we each had been giving 10% previously in sort of a a rote type of way. But we realized that we were actually asking the wrong question. We were asking, how much do we need to give? Is it 10%? If I give 12%, is that like extra credit? Instead, if you really study God's word on the subject, the right question is actually, how much do I really need to keep? 
God graciously provides for our needs and we should adequately provide for our families with those resources. But anything above and beyond that, when you're in the world of excess, should be invested back into God's kingdom. And it was that idea that blew our minds. How much do I need to give, let them into, how much do I actually need to keep? I like having them say it versus me, to be honest. Because uh, I think they've lived it out. It's a hard one to live out, right? But that's how we move from anxiety to trusting in God's goodness and his ability to provide what it is that we actually need. If we can really truly grab a hold of the idea that it is all God's and that we as followers of Jesus find that to be good news versus scary news. If we can make that transition something deeply powerful begins to happen to us. And I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you on that. Matthew 6, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. So friends, where it comes down to is where are you placing your trust? Are you placing it in your bank account? Or are you placing it in the hands of Jesus who is good who loves you, who has said that he wants to provide for you? Are you allowing him to actually be the one that you're relying on? At the root of it all, what I guess I'm really saying is, is Jesus trustworthy in every area? If he's not, you sure as heck better have your backups, right? You better have another plan because it's not going to end up well. But if he is good, if he is trustworthy, if you fully believe that, then we need to start living like that is what we believe. We need to be willing to have confidence and faith in that. And we want to do it like it's a good thing. It's going to be countercultural. It's going to mean that we look a little bit different. But we need to believe that that's actually a good thing if he is trustworthy. So worship team comes back up. We're going to go into singing a a newer song called Let the Redeemed. And in the middle of the chorus, we're going to sing these words. Sing of his promises evermore. Pour out your thankfulness. Let it overflow. And I just want to encourage you this morning, wherever you're at on this spectrum, if you're sitting here and you're like, I struggle financially all the time, like I am barely making it, then sing of his promises. Let Jesus know that you are putting your trust in him, that you do think that he is good and that he's able to take care of what it is that you need. And if you're sitting here and you're saying, I've seen Jesus provide, then give him gratitude. Give him thanks for what it is that he's done in your life, for the ways that he's provided for you, for your family, the ways that he's shown his goodness to you. Wherever you're at on that spectrum, I want to encourage you as we go into a time of worship, don't like turn off what we just did, but allow it to be an outpouring of what it is that we're doing. Keep engaging with him and asking him to come and to help us to move from that place of anxiety to a place of trust. Let's pray. Stand up with me if you want to. Jesus, I just thank you right now for uh, what you're doing here. I thank you for uh, your goodness, for, for the many ways that we've, each of us in our lives, seen you be good.
I pray that you will remind us of those. And I pray that today that you will give us, uh, give us grace, give us hope to be able to move from a place of, of anxiousness. Help us to give up our anxiety, to give up control to you, and to really trust that you are good. And just say that we love you, Jesus. Amen.